0: So this morning we are in Genesis chapter 3. I don't know if it was because of the preaching seminars I was at, but this title, you can just ignore it. Um, I'm not good at making up titles. It was one of the funnier things that happened this week is there are always pastors. I have never been that guy. And so one of the critiques I got was, Joe, you've titled your sermons like, The Justice and Mercy of God. That's like the most broad thing. You can do that every single week. And I was like, that's kind of the reason I like it. It's kind of, if I forget to change the bulletin, I just got the same title in and it works. Um, but this week I would probably title it something like, uh, um, Shame Leads to the same verse genesis 321 still looking at what happened in the garden at the fall so last week talked about just the fact that the temptation of satan was not just to those two but continues on and that we are we are all susceptible to it and that we practice it many times because our own self is still being put to death and here there are again there's lots of things that we tell you about the gospel of Jesus in Genesis chapter 3 in the fall and the curse and the promise of the coming one who had crushed the serpent's head. But I want to help us also see that there is something that was a gift to Adam and Eve the moment they ate of the tree. So remember, what is the the name of the So there was the tree of life in the midst of the garden, and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And something immediately happens when they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their eyes were opened. So if you look at uh, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, She also gave some to her husband. Who was with her. He ate. Then. The eyes of both. Were opened. And they knew. That they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves loincloths. It's weird. Right. So when God said to Adam and Eve. Of the tree of the knowledge. He didn't say, you'll also have this other thing happen at the same time, but this other thing, even before the gospel is promised is a gift to them, because in the moment they eat of it, when they disobey God, their eyes were open and they felt something new. Shame. They were ashamed. Now you could. A little weird since they were a couple who were having gonna either started already or were going to about start having children. And so it's weird that it would just be shame of just the nakedness of your flesh. But if, if we look at scripture in a big long thing, there is this other sort of nakedness. scripture for us. That's Hebrews chapter 4. And part of it is familiar, and the part that I'm going to continue to emphasize is the part that we forget. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So what does that look like? What What does it mean when it says the sword of God pierces and Figures out the intentions of your heart. Well, verse 13 is almost the explanation of what that is. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes to whom we must give an account. That I think what's going on in Genesis 3, when their eyes are opened and they are ashamed because they are naked, it's not because... It's that they feel the eyes of God upon them, and it, it, it freaks them out. They are frightened of this feeling of being exposed. And that's what the Word of God continues to do to us. It is always exposing us. And so oftentimes, a right feeling, when you read the Word of God, is exposure and ashamedness. This idea of, like, I don't like the fact that he can see me. This is uncomfortable. Because no one knows my thoughts but me. But now I've read scripture, and it feels like someone is right inside my head. And that someone is God. And that's uncomfortable. Sometimes, sometimes in my preaching, because I know my own thoughts, you might feel some of that pressure. And think, how does he know that I sometimes think that? i sometimes think that but i don't know all your thoughts i don't know all your intentions i don't know what you thought 10 minutes ago or two hours ago or last week on tuesday afternoon when whatever happened on tuesday i don't know what you thought but god knows and he knows your intentions and when you read his word and are reminded that he knows these things it's uncomfortable to be that exposed Think of it like this right you all have doctors of some sort and if you get into a point where you have to actually have a doctor really look at you so you're not just going for a checkup you're not just there to like say hi and make sure your meds are okay but you have something you actually have to expose yourself for many of you have had to do this disrobe show things No one goes away from some of those appointments and thinks, I'd like to do that every Tuesday afternoon. You think, I don't ever want to do that again. I hope that solves it and figures it out because I don't want to have to do that again. That's the same thing that happens with us when we read God's word, when we remember his word. Because you have to think. sin they ate it and then they remembered and it just they wanted to cover up they wanted to they just felt too exposed and so they made themselves fig leaves I think that's what's happening because later on when God comes and questions them, he says in verse 10 this is this is Adam Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I mean, think about this. There is no amount of clothing in the world that can cover up. feeling like you had me I couldn't deal with it and so when I heard the sound of you walking I I ran away it was a second sort of hiding right so in verse 8 they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden so they'd already felt exposed naked they had made themselves some clothing of some sort and then when they heard God walking They got more freaked out that this clothing was entirely inadequate. I gotta hide. We gotta get out of here. This again is how God continues to work to us all the time. And what this is, the word that we use for this is a conscience. This is their conscience that was opened. Before. Was no need to feel anything other than delight in God's presence. After they ate, when sin had entered in, God gave them the gift of conscience. Something that they could intuitively feel when they did things. And that gift of a conscience is with us still. Um, the book of Romans. It says that this is how he works on everybody. It's through the conscience. Um, For when Gentiles who do not have the law. This is Gen- er, Romans 2 verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law. By nature do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their While their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And basically there's two things that can happen to your conscience. You can either cultivate it to work better, to be more alert, or you can deaden it. You can excuse yourself by making your conscience say things that aren't true so here's this gift that God gives us to Adam and Eve in the garden that he's passed down to all of us children. And the conscience is how God awakens us to the fact that we are in dire need of some help. We might not understand what the help is. We might not understand what the problem is. We might not understand exactly all the things about God. But a conscience makes us aware that something is really frightening. Christian, right, despite the fact that it is not fun to be exposed, knows that God, in the words of many Puritans, is the good doctor. God is a good physician. To be exposed to God, our great physician, is to endure shame and fear, but with the grand result of being actually healed. So we go to doctors, in the hopes that when we expose ourselves, they will figure out what's wrong, they will have a solution, they will fix us. The reality is sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes we have unfixable problems. I was with uh, very good friends of mine from college uh, that I stayed with when I was up in Indianapolis, and um, Scott's dad died about three years ago, and so I was asking about what had happened. And what had happened was he went in because he had gastrointestinal problems, Span of this particular strain, nine months. No cure. No chemo works. You're going to die. So sometimes it happens. You go to the doctor. You expose yourself. You hope they're going to have something, and there's just nothing. They can't help you. Only to say, the end is near. Prepare yourself to die. God, however, to the Christian,
1: is always a good
0: physician. So we don't. Even though it's hard. clothing it's a good thing because god always heals us he is the great healer he is the great physician he is the one who bears with us in our shame and then fixes us so it's not good for the christian to never feel ashamed the christian should have a growing sense of their own sinfulness the fact that there's just all kinds of things all the time that offend the holy God and it makes us uncomfortable when we do them. and if we don't have that growing sense that means we're going the other way and we vary right the, the, the good news is even though sometimes we deaden our own conscience in Christ if we're Christians God will always bring us back right? he'll always make us come back into the into the room with him so that he can expose us and show us but we should be God has not, this is 1 Thessalonians 4, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So the the point of being a Christian is not to be impure, the point is to be holy, to actually do godly things. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. That there is this real danger in in putting aside holiness and the feeling of it. We often conflate uh, this idea that we shouldn't feel um, we often think that the goal of the Christian is to never be ashamed I'll put it that way we think that shame belongs to the non-Christian and we are now no longer ashamed in fact there's a language in scripture that seems to bear that out but if you read things like the book of Ezekiel for instance shame is a recurring thing prophet continuously says to the people of Israel, God's people, you're shameless. You're unashamed. It's not good. You do things and you just pretend like nothing has happened. This is not a good way. The Christian is not the unashamed one. The Christian is the constantly aware of his shame and need for the gospel. So a Christian is not a person who never feels shame. And the Christian is also someone who Uh, Is also not someone who never sins. A Christian still sins. And a Christian should. Feel shame every time. That's our goal. Because what shame does. Is awakens us to a major problem. That there is a holy God. Who has given his laws and his rules. And we have disobeyed them. And that. There is a problem. That Christ came to fix. Here is probably built into that. Yeah, probably. There's probably something like God said, somebody has to die. We will kill these animals. I'll show you how to sacrifice because when you sin, death and blood are important. And there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. There's all those things probably going on there. But here's something else that's going on there. God, the Father, With his children And saying I know you feel shame And it makes you Uncomfortable all the time Because of your sin But I want to help you I'm going to give you some better clothing Take a little bit of the sting Of the shame off of you It won't remove the whole thing It's not as though God doesn't still Penetrate and pierce them It's just See it in various places in Scripture. The next place I think you see it is in the story of Noah. So after the flood, Noah's landed and he plants his vineyard and he gets drunk and naked. And then Ham comes in and goes and tells his brothers, Hey, our dad's naked. And then Shem and Japheth, the other other two sons, go in backwards and cover up their father's nakedness, his shame. And then because that uncovering of the nakedness means which we won't get into right now he was cursed ham was and specifically he was cursed on his son canaan who became the canaanites that was there was some sort of covering of the shame of sin that happened god still gives And it's not christ specifically who is that covering because christ's final covering his blood is justification where we can stand before the holy god without fear but during our lifetimes when we are not finally when the consummation of the blood of christ hasn't happened for us personally because we're not in heaven but we're in this not yet kind of place where we're we know we're forgiven in christ we're justified in christ and one day we'll stand before god reality is we're not right now standing before God in his holiness in the heavenly places we're here and we're sinning we have shame so what is the covering now what what is God's kindness to us like he did to Adam and Eve now this is nowhere I think it is implied in many things and that covering is you, the church. We are the clothing that God has given to each one of us to do the same thing he did for Adam and Eve. And what I mean by that is this. Church is not a place to come and pretend like you did nothing wrong this week. Church is a place where we come together and confess our sins to one another. And then listen to some of the language that, that the New Testament gives And we bear with one another. We forgive one another. Just think about something like 1 Corinthians 13. The famous love chapter. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That here, in the body, in Christ, every week we are reminded that Christ bears with us. God bears with he covers us and he does that by having each one of us cover the other we say to each other you sinned against me but I will not hold it against you we love one another and that is a covering that is spiritual it's not like the skins of Adam and Eve it is the spiritual gift of God to his people so that we don't feel the unbearable awfulness Constantly covering one another and saying things like I've done that too or I did that this week too or that sin is familiar to me and we give cover to each other we don't we don't excuse wrongdoing but we do cover each other so that we don't feel so ashamed and naked before the eyes to whom we must give an account and so one of the most important things we do Christian witnesses to this world is show the world that this church is the safest doctor's house in the world. It is the safest place to be naked. It is the safest place to be exposed. Because this is You are mine and I will take you to the end. I have died, Christ says, and you will die with me and rise with me and come to me at the end. It is the promise that this place actually has the healing answer to shame. But if we pretend like we don't have it, no one will think it's safe here. There is this horrible, awful, consistent. Worldliness that steals language from Christians. And so in my day, in the last 20 years, there is this phrase, safe space. And what it means to the world right now is you are safe to be gay, transgender, weird, totally off the charts sexually, and we won't say anything, do anything, tell you it's wrong. We're a safe space. They have taken again our language what is the safest place in the entire world? the church we are the safe space and yet now if we say to someone our church is a safe space they think we love to say that sexual sin is great and it's just awful it's the same thing that 40 years ago 50 years ago gay pride movement stole the rainbow. Right? They make the rainbow flag mean something entirely abhorrent to God. And so now, if we were to hang a rainbow flag to celebrate the covenant of God to man in Noah, people would get the very wrong idea about what we think about sexual sin. But despite the fact that the world has stolen our language, we are still the same. The safe place. We are still the covering that people need so that they can unload themselves. So that the weight of the presence of God does not overwhelm them to the point of despair, but instead you say to them, Me too. I've done it. And then all of a sudden the grace of God comes and they confess their sins and God covers them and they get the Blessing of Christ one day, but the blessing of Christ now. Yeah, his body. Church. So, again, this is not everything that's going on in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, with the skins. But I think this is something that's important to remember. We hopefully, hopefully, Lord willing, as we pray and hope and work, we'll have people in our church that. Be ready for it. We have to be ready to be a good doctor's assistant who doesn't go woo when we did somebody who's road was in right? If a nurse comes in and they're like, oh like, you know, throwing up or just running out of the room, you're not gonna feel real confident in that room. You need a nurse who has seen some things, knows some things. You need a doctor who is not disturbed by the sight of wretched doesn't look at you as though you're some sort of monster. But looks at you with compassion. He says, you know, a, lot of, a lot of physicians in whatever field oftentimes have had something happen to them that was fixed by a good doctor. And so they think, I want to be a doctor. I got fixed. That's cool. I want to fix people. Wouldn't that be great to do the thing that happened to me? We're all those people are the people fixed by the good physician who want to say to someone, no, I know it's awkward and weird to just disrobe, but listen, he's a good doctor. He'll fix it. He will fix it. He always fixes it. He fixed me. Look at me. I mean, I was a wreck. It's the reason that we always love the testimonies with the greatest You know, We love the guy who was drinking and Drugs and shooting and sex, and then all of a sudden, boom! As we go, look at that. No doctor in the world can fix that. And our doctor doesn't live in the world. He is enthroned forever in heaven, and he fixes everybody. Yeah. So, this is a word for us, right? And it happened to Adam and Eve, and God was merciful to them to give them a little something so that they didn't. Feel do the same. stand. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing. And what do you know, I did preach shorter this week, so that workshop worked. That was a great
1: service
0: <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray, and then we will sing our closing hymn, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Father, we are very, total unbearable shame of our sin so that we can come to you so that we have the strength to walk into the room and to bear ourselves before you because we know that you're a good physician that you actually do heal and so father we pray that we would be pricked in our consciences this week that you would continue to make them soft and aware and father that as new people do come we would not stand ape saying. Continue to disrobe. Show the whole self and God will heal. Give us this faith. Give us this hope. Give us this work. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Number 344. At all.